0: How are we all doing? It's good to be in, where am I again, Crowley? Cool, it's good to be in Crowley. You're, he's wrong, I don't drink tea. I must be the only Englishman out there who doesn't drink tea. But it, no, it's so, uh, so good and so um, privileged to be here. I met Pastor Bubba in London last year, and we just instantly connected, and he said, you've got to come to Louisiana. Now, I was supposed to be here one year ago, but I didn't quite make it. Now, i got a good reason for not making it. So, who remembers what they were doing on, the, on October the 4th last year? Anyone remember that? Probably not. Well, I remember exactly what I was doing this time last year, because I was in a hospital bed in uh, Mobile, Alabama, of all places, so things can't get much worse than that. Not only are you in hospital, but you're in Mobile, Alabama, so it was a pretty rough time. And uh, it was a very significant day in my life because one year ago today, doctors said to my wife, your husband's going to die in the next three hours. It's pretty, pretty big news. So um, three hours. Now, it was a very complicated illness. I'm going to be telling the whole story tonight in Jennings. We'll be there at 6 p.m. If you're hungry for God, you'll be there. So come along to Jennings, and we're going to share that story. Um, But to cut a long story short, I contracted malaria. Now, I go to Africa a lot. We're in the very dangerous parts of the world. We also have a work in Sri Lanka. So we're in some of the most dangerous parts of the world where disease is prevalent, and I picked up some malaria. But it wasn't just kind of normal malaria. You can get four strains of malaria, and I had the worst one, and if 5% of it is in your bloodstream, it can be strong enough to kill you. They did the tests on me. They said, son, you're at 20%. Then 24 hours went by. They said, he's gone up to 50% of his blood is filled with this malaria parasite. Now, they told me, or they told my wife, because I was unconscious. They said, we don't know of anyone in the entire world who has recovered from having such a severe strain of malaria. So it was pretty bad. Now, in addition to that, um, this was at the time when the whole Ebola thing was going crazy around the world, okay? Now, I'd just been in Africa the week before that, and they took one look at me, they checked my symptoms, and they said, You have every symptom of Ebola. So, at first, they thought I had Ebola, so they put me in a quarantine. They quarantined me for three days in an isolation unit. It was pretty serious. My wife, she can't even touch me. She can't even hold my hand. She has to wear this big suit just to walk in my room. My, my little son, he's four now. He was three at the time. He wasn't even allowed in the hospital. So it was pretty bleak. All my organs started shutting down. My, kidney, my, my kidneys, my liver, my lungs, my heart were all going into failure. So it was pretty bad. But how many know that what's impossible with man is possible with God? Anyone believe that? So, my wife put a message out on Facebook and she said, Please pray for Matthew. They've given him three hours to live. Some of you may have seen that message, because I know some of you were expecting me last year, so became to know of the situation, and you began to pray. How many know that prayer works? Anyone believe that? I still believe in the miraculous of God. I still believe that God can heal the sick. If you're sick today, I believe that God could heal you instantly just like that. You might have pain in your back. You might be deaf in one ear. You might have, be losing sight in your eye. You might be diagnosed with all kinds of disease. But let me tell you, I still believe in the miraculous power of God. I still believe in it. Yeah, I still believe in it. So to cut a long story short, my wife put this message out on Facebook and people all around the world started to pray. They started to seek God. And I was so humbled. When I woke up, I had over 2,000 messages there on Facebook from people. I didn't even know who they were. I didn't know where they were from. They were from all around the world. We're saying, hey, we heard about your situation, and we just wanted to pray for you. We just wanted to seek God and stand in the gap for you. And I, I began to cry like a baby. You know, the church is the most beautiful, precious, amazing thing in the world. I hate it when people criticize the church. The church is the bride of Christ. It's God's bride. It's a precious, beautiful thing. It's to be loved. It's to be cherished. It's, it's amazing. We, it's not ours to criticize. It's God's. So if God needs to correct His church, then we'll let Him do that. It's not our job to do that. But when the church is on form, it's the most precious, beautiful thing on planet Earth. So people all over the place, Christians in far-flung nations all over the world began to pray and seek God. And within just three hours, that malaria had gone from 50% right down to 10% with no medicine. Medicine could not do no more. But God raised me up. Hallelujah. So, one year today, they gave me the news. Now, I found it pretty cool that I I landed here on Wednesday night. And we had a few days where we'd just been hanging out. And um, I had Friday and Saturday where we didn't have really any meetings scheduled. So I realized I was only like four hours from Mobile. So I just drove down there on Friday, which marked the one year anniversary of getting admitted to that hospital. And I walked on the ICU, and I thanked those doctors and nurses, and I said, I just want to thank you guys for helping to save me. And they began to cry as they just remembered what God had did. And we've seen some amazing things. We spent the last 12 months telling this story. We've been in 48 different places sharing it. We've been on national news. We've been in BBC radio in England there, the big national newspapers. And we estimate over 1 million people now heard this story as a result of what God did. But anyway, I could tell that story all day. I'm not going to. I'm going to... Tell that tonight, because it is incredible, and it will really give you hope if you 're going through a tough time, you know it might not be a sickness thing, it might be a finance thing or a marriage thing, but that story will just show you what God can do. We serve a good god don 't we amen, amen. so i 'm going to show you a little video now, and that video will just show you in ninety seconds what we do in kenya it 's been a remarkable journey. We have you know one hundred and fifty kids now who we we who work with us we work with them there. There are our kids. They literally call us mom and dad, mom and dad. They, um, so people say it's expensive to raise kids. I know all about that. So I got 151. One of them's a little white boy and 150 Africans. And now we got 10 in Sri Lanka also. So it's a busy life. It's a crazy life. But this little video will show you and I want to introduce you to the kids at King's Children's Home in Kenya. Thank you. It is not just an orphanage, it is my home. Little hands, it's not just a school, it's my future. looking back at me, will we leave behind the innocent to grieve? It is not just a meal, it is my nutrition. It's not just a mosquito net, it is my health. It's just like a I am not just an orphan, I am a son. I am not just an orphan, I am a daughter. You are not just a sponsor, you are my family. It's not just a donation; it is my it's my life. It's my life. It's my life. It is my life. It is my life. It's my life. It is my life. It's my life. Amen. So that's. Uh, That's King's Children's Home, and what a journey it's been. I first went to Africa in 2006. I'd been a Christian for about nine months, and I went on my first mission trip, and I just instantly fell in love with Africa, and I decided right then that I'm going to give my life for Africa, and I'll go wherever God tells me to go, do whatever He wants me to do, because I have such a calling and such a love for the African people. So we we were given a piece of land in 2009, and it took us about... Three years to build that building you see there. It cost about $200,000, and we had, we had just $1,000 in the bank account when we started that project. But how many know, sometimes you've got to step out for God to step in. So we stepped out, and we said, we're going to do this project. We're going to see what happens, and uh, the money just miraculously came in, and we paid off that building debt-free, and it's been such a great blessing. We had hundreds of applicants to come into that home from the children. I mean, literally every kid you meet where we are is messed up. They've been abused. They've been raped. They suffer. They're HIV positive. They've been tortured. I mean, I'm talking about extreme situations here. One time my wife was in Sierra Leone in West Africa, and she, uh, she found this little girl on the street begging. She was nine years old. Her name was Felicity. She was just nine. And uh, my wife's a very loving, warm person, and She just noticed that this little girl didn't have any shoes. So, you know, how many know that love looks like something? Love looks like something. The love of God to a starving man is a bowl of rice. You know, if someone doesn't have shoes, then guess what? I don't need a word from God to go and buy him some shoes. That's the call of God right there. You see a need and you meet it. And I don't need to pray about that. I don't need to kind of get a prophetic word about that. If I see an obvious need and I know that I can meet that need, then that's, that's the call of God right there. It's as easy as that. You don't have to overcomplicate things sometimes, and we'd like to do that. So Becky, my wife, sees this kid with no shoes and thinks, I'm going to buy her some shoes. So she takes her into a store. She spends about $2, $2 for some shoes. It's, it's nothing, really. And uh, this girl, she, it's like you've given her a million dollars. I mean, she is so excited and happy and she just sees these shoes. She's like, "Wow, this is amazing." So Becky then plays with this girl all day. She just hangs out with her. You know, she makes her laugh, she makes her smile. She she's just excited, you know, and this little girl is so happy that she got a new white friend. So things are going great. Then that night we're doing a a gospel campaign in a big field. We used to sometimes we still do, we hire a stage and some lighting and we just go in a field and preach and thousands of people show up. It's really neat how it happens. But anyway, um, this little girl, Becky says, hey, you want to come to the crusade tonight? And the little girl says, hey, yeah, I'll come. Um, or do you want me to go and wait in your hotel room for you? And this girl's nine. She's like, what? Wait in my hotel room for me? What, what do you mean by that? So sure enough, uh, this girl, we, we say to her again, hey, what do you mean wait in the hotel room? And We don't understand what she means. Now, this girl is nine years old, okay? She's nine. Think about the nine-year-old kids you know in your neighborhood, in your family. Think about it, a nine-year-old kid. And this girl, um, Becky says to her again, Hey, what do you mean wait in my hotel room? And sure enough, this girl assumed that Becky had bought her the shoes and been so nice to her because she wanted kind of sexual favors in return for the shoes. That's the kind of thing we're dealing with here. That's why I can't not go back to Africa. That's why despite nearly getting killed by this malaria thing and everyone, every medical professional saying, you must be crazy to go back there. That's why I can't stop going back there because God's birthed something in my heart where I'm not going to let no devil, I'm not going to let no situation stop me because there's a world out there that needs Jesus Christ. And... If, if I don't do it, if you don't do it, then who's going to do it? No one. So we were able to share the, the love of God with this little girl. Say, hey, sweetheart, we don't want nothing from you. The love of God is free. It's free. The price has already been paid. And this little girl was, you, you, you just can't imagine. We started to think, what on earth has she gone through in her little life in those nine years? What has she experienced to think that of another woman who at the time was maybe 25 years old. What on earth has she gone through? So that was a real seminal moment, a landmark moment in our lives when we knew that we had to lay our lives down for this and nothing was going to stop us. So we got this land in Kenya and then we built that beautiful home there and we now have about 150 kids who are part of what we're doing. 60 of them live on site. They're total orphans. They have no mom or dad at all. And then the remaining kids, they come just for our school. We feed them three times a day. Then they go home because they still have parents who love them, but they just can't afford to educate or feed or clothe them. So we got a big, big old family down there. It's a crazy place. we got 27 staff. And uh, myself and my wife, we have to pay the whole bill. So that's why I said I understand about raising kids being expensive. It's a lot. I mean, I've almost got as many kids as Pastor Zach Neely and Pastor Bubba, of course. So it's, uh, it's, a cr- it's crazy out there, but we, we just, we'd love you to be a part of that this morning. So we take teams out to Kenya all the time. I'm sure some people here will might have a stirring to come. We go for about seven days. You live on site with the kids. It's a great experience. So if you want to be a part of that, come and see us afterwards. And then we've got this little book here. This is full of little stories like that. You can read this in about two hours. And this is just the story so far of what we've done. If you have a heart for missions or a... You just want to be inspired. One of these at the back. And then I've not, I've not come here to get money off people. You know, God's taking care of us the whole time. I don't get paid for being here. Not one cent. I'm quite happy with that. That's my decision. But we really do need help. I've got to be honest with you. I'm not going to manipulate you and say, God's going to do this. If you do this, I'm not into all that stuff, okay? I'm just going to be honest with you. We have kids. We have their profiles at the back. And we need sponsors for those kids. It costs $30 a month. That feeds, educates, clothes them. And uh, we got we got a lot of kids who still need sponsors. So if you can help us, you know we can take your details at the back. They, we just charge you a card each month. It's only $30. It's like a dollar a day will literally save a kid's life. So if you can help us with that, I'll be on that back table straight after I've got a few of the girls helping me today. And we can give you some information there. So I'm going to leave that at that. But if you can help us, that would be great. I'm going to speak a a message today on my heart. And um, it's something which I really felt on my heart for this church. I know that this is a new church, it's about a year old. I've got that history. And what excites me about this campus at Crowley is there's obvious momentum here. I can just feel it in my spirit when I step in that there's life here. Okay? You know, um, when you have a baby. It's sometimes a bit noisy, it's sometimes a bit kind of unconventional. It sometimes can inconvenience you, but the joy of that baby is more valuable than anything. And I, I can just see. I feel like we're just on the verge of something so great here. You know, I don't. I, I just. I can't put it into words too well, but. It, it just excites me, and I just can't wait to be part of this journey and just to watch it develop in the next few years, because I just think this thing is going to fly. I really believe that. You've got great pastors here, and it's so important to serve them, you know, and I understand church. I, I pastor a church myself in England. I do that in my spare time, <laughs> and, um, and that's going real well. So I understand about church, you know, and that's why what I said earlier is so important to me, because I love the bride of Christ, I really do love the church. I think the church is the most spectacular, amazing thing on planet Earth. And I just want to encourage you guys to serve your local church. Serve your church like it's the most important thing in your life. You know, this is the, the bride of Jesus we're talking about. It's not just some community institute or some kind of hobby. This is the Church of Jesus Christ. And wow, what a, you know, time is short Okay, time is short. I learned that one year ago when they gave me three three hours to live, and they said, he's not going to make it, and even when I did make it, they said, he's going to have to be on this medication and that medication, and he's going to need this transplant and that transplant, but I feel good, I'm telling you, I feel good. I don't have any medication. I don't have any treatment. I don't go for any checkups. Doctors have discharged me from their whole system, and I'm a miracle here today, you know, and... I know Pastor Bubba had a miracle himself. He, had a, he got declared cancer-free about two weeks ago. And you know that. And what was amazing is we went running on um, Thursday afternoon, and we were running around the block there. We did about two and a half miles maybe. And I thought to myself, isn't this incredible? You've got malaria man and cancer man <laughs> running around the block. And God is a good God. And he's not bad for an old guy. He can run, I tell you. (laughs) He can run. Okay, I'm going to read to you from Isaiah chapter 6. It's a well-known verse. Who wants this book? Let me throw this out there. Oh, wow. Sorry about that. I'll pray for the sick later. Sorry. So number Isaiah 6, verse 1 to 8. It's quite a well-known passage of Scripture. It says, In the year... That King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood Seraphim, each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another, said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door were shaken, By the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me, I'm undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he'd taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. In that scripture we read how the Spirit of God is asking Isaiah a question. He's hovering around the world. And he's still hovering around the world today, just like he hovered over the waters at creation. The Spirit of God is saying, who can I send? Who will go for me? You know, throughout the centuries, thousands of people have said yes to the call of God. They have said, I am going to follow Christ. Nothing else matters. I'm not going to play at church, turn up one week, miss two weeks, then show up when I feel like it. I'm going to be a red-hot Christian. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to do whatever He tells me to do. I'm not going to give Him a half-hearted effort. I'm going to serve Him with all my mind, my body, and my soul. I love Jesus, and nothing is going to take that away from me. If He sends me to Africa, then I'll go. If He tells me to go to Honduras or Haiti, I'm going to go. Thousands of people throughout the centuries have said yes to the call of God. I'm from Great Britain. We're a tiny little island, but we conquered the world and we sent missionaries all over the planet carrying the flame of the gospel. So I've got some heritage in me which I believe God is stirring up again in my nation. There's other people who say no to this question. God's hovering around the place, they hear the sermons, they stick up their hand in worship, but they just won't live seriously for God. They won't live seriously for God. They just kind of take it too easy. You know, they show up, they kind of go through the motions, but they're just bound by religion. There's a difference between religion and relationship with God. They're They're more interested in making money They're more interested in pursuing their own ambitions than they are about serving God. But I believe today the Holy Spirit is here and he's asking that same kind of question. Who will go? Who will go? Now, it's great when some of us go to Africa, get on a plane. It's great. Okay. Now, I'm not naive enough to think that everyone's going to do that. Some people are just not going to do that. Let's face facts. They're not going to get on a plane and go to Africa. It's just not them. Now, that's not an excuse to do nothing for God. You say, oh, I'm not called to missions. Let me tell you, the mission field begins as soon as we walk out of those doors right now, today. The mission field is our entire world, wherever that may be, where God has placed us. That could be in your workplace tomorrow morning. That could be with your family tonight. That could be anywhere. That could be in your school, in your college, wherever God has placed you right now. You've got to recognize that the steps of the righteous are ordered ordered by the Lord, and God has put you right where you are. And God wants to use you right where you are. So who will go? Who's interested in in this city? Who's got a passion for Crowley? Who believes that Louisiana has got its best days ahead? Who's got a passion to believe that this church is just kind of in its baby stage right now, but if we would just work, if we would just preach the gospel, if we would just save souls and lead people to Christ and have a bit more passion and boldness, there's no limits to what God could do right here in this place. Amen. Isaiah responds and says, Here I am, send me. But let me show you something real cool. Before Isaiah could say those words... He had to have three visions take place in his life. And today I'm going to speak a message which I've just entitled, The Three Visions. Okay, I'm going to be real quick. They always say that, don't they, the preachers. (laughs) So, before we do anything for God, before we step out and do something, I believe we've got to have three visions take place in our life. The Bible says that without vision, the people perish. You could kind of twist that around a bit, and you could also say, without people, the vision will perish. Without people, the vision perish. In other words, Jesus said, the harvest is plantable, but the laborers are few. We need people. We need people if we're to achieve what God wants us to do. God uses ordinary people, normal people. Sometimes we think we've got to be some big super celebrity to be used by God. Let me tell you, God can use anyone. He can use anyone. Why do I know that? Because he uses me. And if he can use me, you better believe he can use you. I've seen God use anyone. I mean, some of the people I've seen God use, I just can't believe he chose them. (laughs) But he did. Because God's smarter than we are. The first vision we need, we need a vision of God. Verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. seated on a throne, high and lifted up. Many people try and do great things for God, but they fail to see Him. They try and work out with their natural mind how this thing works. But they fail to see that God is at the center of it all. They have not had a vision of God. You know, People look at my life and my wife's life and they look at our ministry and they say, they try and work out with their natural minds how this happens. They're like, you're just two normal people from England. How on earth do you do this? How do you sustain this? How do you get the money in? How do you see the miracles? How have how you seen these kids who in three years, we've been open now for three, about two and a half to three years, we've been open and the kids completely transformed. Kids who were abused and broken. I mean, some of the things they've had done to them, I could not tell you them. It's too graphic, particularly for a family audience. I, I couldn't tell you. You couldn't handle it. And people say, well, how did you get the kids so fixed? You'd walk in that home now, you would not think they're the happiest kids in the world. They smile all day. They don't get, they don't have kind of flashbacks of their past. They don't have kind of, they don't struggle with emotional hurt. They've been set free. How many know when the sun sets you free, you're free indeed? So people try and say, well, how did you do this in two years? How do you do it in like, how do you get the money in? How do you see the kids transformed? And they assume we've got a big staff. We don't really have any staff. We've got a few of admin people who help us, but pretty much it's just us, and I don't get paid, so we we'll try and work that one out. So people try and work it out, but they fail to see God. They fail to see. They try and work out with their minds, how do you make this happen? But they fail to. To see God. Let me tell you, here's what I love about this whole thing. People try and, they're trying to, you find this all the time, and people try and make a God out of a preacher or a man. And here's what I love about God He does things which are so impossible that no man can get the credit for them. It's like Pastor Bubba getting healed of cancer. He's amazed the doctors. You can't even say to the doctor, thank you, or well done. You can, of course, be grateful for their time. But there's certain things which doctors cannot do. And only the great physician can step in and perform that miracle. Why does God do that? He does it because then only He can take the glory. We serve a God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power of that works in us. Our God is able. Our God can lift you out of depression right now. He can meet your financial need right now. He can save your soul. He's the baptizer, the deliverer, the coming king, the savior. Whatever you need today, if you're battling with that sin, that addiction which you just can't shake it off, let me tell you right now, the power of God is here. And he can touch you and set you free right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bible says... I saw the Lord. Isaiah saw the Lord. Now, you get those people, and I'm always jealous of these kind of people, those super spiritual people, and they have visions and things like that. Now, I'm just not one of those kind of guys, and I wish I was. You know, people show up to me and say, I had had this prophetic vision. I saw this happen, that happen. My wife's a little bit like that. And stuff like that just never happens to me. Now, you could have 15 angels show up here. I will not have a clue. I'm one of those kind of people. So you say, well, how can you see the Lord if you don't kind of recognize stuff like that? Let me tell you, I've never had a vision of heaven. I've never seen the throne room of God. I've never had a vision of Christ and seen his eyes. And I love visions. I promote them. I hope I get one one day. I'm going to keep trying for one. But so you say, well, how have you seen the Lord? Let me tell you how I've seen the Lord. I've seen the Lord because I've seen him take a filthy, rotten sinner like me and wash me with his blood and give me such joy and peace and freedom. I've seen the healing power of God take me from that sickbed. With three hours to live when everyone gave me no hope, I'm stuck in Alabama, my family's in England. i just got my wife and my son and a few close friends. No one else is there. And I saw God raise me up and give me a voice once more. And get me out of that hospital bed with no medication, no side effects. I've seen the Lord. No one can tell me I've not seen Him. I've seen His mighty hand in my life. I've seen the power of prayer work. Have you seen the Lord today? What's He done for you? Have you seen Him? Don't miss Him. Don't miss Him. He's here right now. Don't miss Him. I've seen the Lord. Vision number one. A vision of God. We gotta have one. We gotta see Him. We gotta see Christ high and lifted up. We gotta know that His name's above all names. Number one, a vision of God. Number two, we need a vision of ourselves. So he had an upward vision. How many know? As soon as you look up, you see God, the finger straight back on you. You see God, wow, God, you're amazing. Boom, straight back to me. Isaiah says, woe is me, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. Isaiah saw God. As soon as you see the beauty of God, you see the failure of man. And you see what's on your life and you know there's things you've got to work on. Now people, and Pastor Bubba will probably agree with me here. I hope he does or he might kick me out. People think that the more you progress with God, the more you kind of... The more experience you get, the more God uses you. People have a a perception that you will suffer more with pride and ego and arrogance. People would assume that because you think, wow, his church went from 100 to 200. He must like, pride must go to his head. And I can understand why you might think that. But for me, the more God has used me, the more I've been so amazed and the less I've had to battle with pride, because that's the last thing I want to do. Let me show you something cool. This is the Apostle Paul talking. you am going to have to stay with me for about a minute or two, because this can be a little bit complicated. But Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9, he says, I'm the least of the apostles. Now, he wrote that in 59 A.D. Okay? Now, five years later, in 64 A.D., he writes in Ephesians, I'm the least of the saints. So he was go- he's gone from being the least of his kind of gathering of apostles, and now he's the least of the saints. So Paul's getting smaller in his own eyes. Then, one year later, this is just before he dies, he says to Timothy, I feel like I'm the chief of all sinners. So Paul, first he's the least of the apostles, then he's the least of the saints, Then, just before he's about to die, he's an old man, he says, I feel like I'm the chief of all sinners. Wow, the longer Paul walked with God, the more he served him and loved him, the smaller he got in his own eyes. I want to say, when you realize how big God is, you quickly realize how small you are. Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, but immediately saw God himself. He had an upward vision, then he had an inward vision. People think that when we do what we do, we sometimes speak to big crowds and go around conferences that we might get a big attitude and a big bit of an ego. But let me tell you, when you got a little kid facing you in the eye, eight-year-old, seven-year-old saying they've been raped or abused, saying that they had all kinds of things done to them, I've seen kids with tumors going out of their face. It's like they had two heads. The tumor's been that huge. When you've got a little kid looking at you like that, crying, saying, can Jesus heal me? Can Jesus do something? That's not the time for me to think, wow, what a great preacher I am. What a great ministry I've got. That's the time for me to get on my face and say, God, without you, I can do nothing. God, I need you. If you don't intervene in this little baby's life, then they've got no chance. That's not the time for me to think, wow, look at us with our cool video and nice website. Ah, How amazing are we? No, that's the time to cling to God and say, God, we need you. Wow. I've had lepers come to me in India asking for prayer. We've had feeding programs where they've given us enough food to feed 100 people and 500 have showed up. Let me tell you, you need a miracle right there or you're going to get... You don't want to promise food to the Africans and then not deliver. I want to tell you guys that God can use you. It's never too late for God to use you. The first time I went to Africa, I went by the invitation of a Scottish man who was about 88 at the time. This is a cool story. You'll like this. And Alex Patterson was his name. And... um, He was 19 years old when God called him to the mission field. He was in a meeting like this. A preacher was preaching like this, about missions like this. And someone said, "Yep, that's me. I can do that. And Alex said, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to go. I'm going to be a missionary. He walked out of that service. He didn't change a thing. He just made a flippant promise to God and then walked out and ignored it. And he turned his back on God that day. And he went and lived a life of sin. He was an angry man. He had failed marriages. He, had, he was aggressive. He ended up in prison. And for years, he rebelled against God. He was a nasty, mean, Scottish man. You don't want to meet a nasty Scottish man, trust me. I live with them. They're mean. And um, even the nice ones are mean. <laughs> so this guy was real mean. Then he was... He got to the age of 74. He'd lived his whole life. He'd retired. He was done. He was getting old. And he sat in his yard one day. And he's just kind of doing some yard work. And the voice of God speaks to him. And says, hey, Alex, I'm calling you again. I'm calling you a second time. Would you go to Africa? This old man tears tears. Stream down his face as he remembers the 50 something years he ran from God. And he gets right with God right then and there in his yard. And he says, You know what? I'm going to go to Africa. I'm going to go. And at the age of 77 years old, he went on his first mission trip, booked a plane ticket, and he went there. And he served Africa for years. He built schools, he helped the homeless, he helped those babies, the amputees who were in the civil war in Sierra Leone, it was so horrific. I met these kids and the soldiers would go up to the parents and they'd point to a little kid and say, hey, does daddy want a short sleeve or a long sleeve? And, they, and if Daddy's, if the little kid said short sleeve, they'd chop his hand off there. If they said long sleeve, they'd chop it off there. And the little kid would watch this happen. And Alex went there, this 80-year-old man, he went there and he helped those broken children and he ministered the love of God to them. And he was the first guy who took me to Africa. He was 88 at the time. By the time he was 91, he was back in England. He was very sick. They called me one night. They said, Alex, he's going to die tonight. He's in hospital. Would you go and be with him? I said, yeah, I'll go. This is a stubborn man you're talking about. But I, I walked in that hospital all the weight had gone out of his face. I mean, he looked, he looked like he was going to die any minute. He wasn't speaking. He, he didn't understand we were there. Now, his wife, he married again after he became a Christian, and he married an African. And he was like 80, and she was like 45, but we'll, we'll, not, talk, we'll not go into that one. <laughs> but, uh, so he married this Sierra Leone lady, and she was a great friend of ours. She still is today. She's a woman of faith. And um, anyway, I was there, and You know, they called me in to pray with him, and I did a typical white man prayer, okay? God, we thank you for his life. God, we praise you for what you've done in through him. What a great man, all this. And I thought he was going to die, I'll be honest with you. And suddenly, this African wife, she was mad at me. She said, no, we're going to believe that God's going to raise him up. So she said, in the name of Jesus, we pray that God would heal my husband. And I thought, come on, he's 91. He's 91, surely. That's it. But the next day they called me. They said, "Uh, Alex is better. They called me four days later They said, Alex has been discharged from hospital. They called me three months later said, Alex is on an airplane back in Sierra Leone. And he went there for another five years. And he finally died last year. And I preached at his funeral to a room packed full of Sierra Leoneans. He died in England and there was barely a white man at his funeral. Because the African people came. So I I learned to speak their local dialect for the funeral. And I delivered a sermon in Creole. And it was the most remarkable thing to see all these African people there just honoring this man. And he followed his passion right till his deathbed. And he was there and he didn't get going while he was 78. So let me tell you, God can use you. What's your excuse? And I'm going to say this again. I'm not expecting you all to go and buy a plane ticket tomorrow to Africa. But we can all do something with what God's given us. Amen. Amen. You don't have to be a big superstar. In Luke chapter 5, we read how four men lowered their friend through the roof and brought him to Jesus. We don't know their names. We don't know how old they were. We don't know what they did for a living. We don't know what denomination they were part of. We just know that these men were hungry to get their friend to Jesus. And look what happened. Hallelujah. God wants to use you. God wants to give you an anointing. God wants to give you boldness. God wants to use you to reach the poor in this city. He wants you to carry the message of good news to those who need it. Just maybe, just maybe today, God could use you. Just maybe, today could be the day when you think, I'm sick and tired of living my boring Christian life. I want to go and serve God. Number three, final vision. He's had an upward vision. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. He's had an inward vision. I'm a man of unclean lips. Thirdly, he has an outward vision. He looks up. He looks in. Now he looks out. He said, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I never want to be a person so consumed by my own needs that I never see the needs of other people. You know, you find Christians, they get so angry at little things. You know, the keyboard moved a few inches and I mean, they can get angry at stuff like that, Christians. They get mad if someone didn't say hello to them on Sunday morning. But I never want to be one of those people who's so annoyed by little petty arguments, but I forget the reason why I'm on this planet, and I forget that thousands of people within a few yards of this door are going to hell unless we do something about it. It's not the time to sit on our hands waiting for the the pastor to go and pray for the sick, or the pastor to go and evangelize, or the pastor to go and do this. And The pastor is only one man. He can only do so much. But now's the time for the church of Jesus Christ to rise up and preach the gospel like never before. To carry the flame of fire like never before. You know, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls in great power. It's a great story. It's called the day of Pentecost. We talk about it as spirit-filled churches all the time. It's a great moment in the church's history when the fire of God falls 120 people are filled with the Spirit of God. They speak in tongues. They they do, They do. have a great time. They have a great meeting. They have a revival right there. It's amazing. But those 120 people don't just sit there and do nothing about it. They don't just stay in that room, that upper room. They decide we've got to go and reach our world. So they go out and they preach the gospel and 3,000 people give their lives to Christ. The upper room is not a House where you live, it's a hotel where you check in, you get what you need, then you check out. As the power of God moves in here today, I want you to cry in your heart for a vision for the lost, for Crowley, for Lafayette, for this whole region that God might just have a plan to use you. We got passionate about Kenya, we're now passionate about Sri Lanka we're here talking about sri lanka we need $30,000 next year which will help us feed 100 families every week their mothers the widows and their kids they took us to a beach there in northern sri lanka it was a beach with palm trees and just like any you'd go for tourism there it was a nice place we got out of the car and we said hey watch out for the bones I said what watch out for the bones I said, what do you mean? They said, well, this is the war zone. This is where the Tamil Tiger War took place. This is where thousands of people were massacred in one go. And literally tens of thousands were killed here and there's still remains of human bodies. There's clothes. We walked on this beach and there's little clothes from little kids just waiting there. Still there. Five years on. And nobody cares about the people who were affected by this war. They said the government won't let us promote what's happened. They're trying to hide it all because they're going to be accused of war crimes because it was that serious. They said, no missionaries ever come here. We're just forgotten. No one cares. I thought that's a great opportunity just to show someone the love of God. So we're starting that in January. And we're going to feed 100 widows and their families. We're going to give them the gospel every week. We're going to give them hygiene products. We're going to disciple them. We're going to integrate them into local churches. And we're going to see 100 families rescued by the love of God. It's so so simple. $30,000, that's all it takes just to go and do that. We thank God. We thank God. So Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up. Then he sees himself. He realizes what a man he is and what he needs to do about that. And then the third vision is an outward vision. He sees the people. He's got to reach three visions to get the job done. Then he could say, here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, send me. I wonder if the keyboard player could just come up here for a second. stay around. Just play something gentle, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to go. I'll be at Jennings tonight at 6 o'clock. If you want to hear the story, it's a great story. If you want to bring the sick, we'll pray for the sick. We'll have a bit more time tonight to do that. I know we've got stuff to do today but I just want to leave you with this thought and I'm going to be at that back table as soon as this meeting finishes if you want to sponsor a kid you can do that if you want to just chat we can do that if you want to come on a trip talk to your pastor then talk to me we maybe can make that happen But right now I just want to pray for some people I'm not going to call you out here we don't have the time to do that but I just think it would be good to recognize that we've got to just do some business with God just for a few seconds here we got to do some business with God. And um, when I hear a message like this, I have to respond in my heart. I'm preaching to myself here again. I'm saying, God, is there anything else you need me to do just to kill that flesh that little bit more, just to serve you that little bit more? And I was with Pastor Steve Robinson last night. He was teaching about the end times. He was teaching that Christ's going to return very soon. He's going to come. He's going to come for... Uh, A bride, he's going to come and take his church. Then loads of bad stuff's going to happen. It's already happening right now, some of it. You just got to turn on your news and it's right there in the Bible. Jesus said it would happen. Perilous times, wars, rumors of wars. It's just all there famine, fighting, lawlessness. It's all there in the book. You can read it. It's not my opinion, it's not my theology, although it is, but it's right from the book. And um, if ever we need to live for Christ, it's right about now. You know, there's so much stuff going on, all these shootings you all are having here in America. And there's such an uncertainty of life. There's economy, crises, crisis, it, it's just like people panicking right now in America. And I understand that because if I lived here, I'd probably feel the same way. But the only thing I can be certain on is the presence of God in my life. That's the only thing I can be certain on. And life is so fragile, like I said, I could have, God didn't have to save my life. He could have just said, right, let's take it. Three hours they gave me to live one year ago today. I'm still here because I believe God's got a plan for my life. I don't know how long he's going to give me. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's around the corner. But i just got to make a decision. Today I'm going to live for Christ. Tomorrow I can take care of itself. Let's see what happens Tomorrow. But right now I'm here, i got breath in my body, i got strength in my body. Let's make it count. Let's do something. Let's just do something. If it's one widow, if it's one little kid I can sponsor, if it's just one person out there on the street I can reach, then yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. Let's bow our heads real quick. Holy Spirit, just like you called Isaiah, just like you said, who can I send who will go for us? I believe you're here right now asking similar questions in Crowley, Louisiana. And God, I believe there's people in here who are called by God; they don't even know it yet. I pray you would put that upon them right now. I pray that preachers would arise, that missionaries and nurses and doctors and politicians and people in business would arise right now in this meeting. I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit just to fall on their life right now. The presence of God's here. Jesus' name. I'm going to do two things. Keep your head bowed, your eyes closed. If you need Jesus in your life today, you've let it slip, you've let it go. You know that you need to give your life to God. You've got sin in your life and you need to be washed clean. If that's you today, just show me your hand and I'll pray with you real quick. In Jesus' name. Yeah. See, two or three hands go up. God bless you. You need to get clean with God. There's no time to waste. You don't know what tomorrow holds. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. If you need Christ in your life, don't let it pass you by. I'm not going to drag you out here. I don't need to do that. You make a commitment in your heart right now. Say, God, wash me clean. Cleanse me. Fill me with your purity, your holiness. In Jesus' name, if that's you, show me your hand real quick. Yeah, God bless you. Hallelujah. God bless you. Thank you. Second call. Those who want to live for Christ. You don't want to live an ordinary life. You don't want to live a boring, you don't just want to sit on a pew all day, go home, do the same thing next week. You want to serve God in your generation. You've got pastors here. You've got leaders here who want to utilize you in this church. They want to place you where your gifting lies. and They want to give you an avenue just to release the gift that God has put in you and maybe you're tired today of religion maybe you just want to say I'm ready to take that next step I'm ready to go and serve and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ I want to live my life for it if that's you just just stand to your feet right now stand to your feet and let's pray a prayer you're tired you're sick and tired of being sick and tired Hallelujah. It's good to see so many people standing. Hallelujah. Let's just pray. Hallelujah. Father God, I thank you for all people stood. You know their hearts, God. You know what's happening in their lives. You know, God, that they are, have certain giftings. You know that there's business people here today. I pray you bless them, Lord. I pray you, pray you bless their finances so they can bless the kingdom of God. I pray you'd give people inventions. I pray you'd give them witty ideas. I just pray for a release of finance on this people to do what you need to do in this town, in this city, in this region, in this state. I pray, Lord, for an uh, empowering move of the Holy Spirit right now to fall on them. Oh, God, burden our hearts for the lost. We want to see you. We want to see ourselves. And then we want to see those in need in this city who need you. God, break our heart for what breaks yours. Break our heart for the lost in this city. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, I pray for the fire of heaven to fall on their hearts right now. In Jesus' name, may the power of God fall. Hallelujah.